Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 89 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And it's really kind of episode 239 when you factor in the original 150 in the old format, my old co-host Dean Guido. And I mentioned that because I want to create just the magnitude of how long and how important Steve Hall's work is in the podcasting realm. When it, If I looked, you're on what? Episode 313 of the Revive Stronger podcast. Yeah, something like that. It's it's kind of absurd. And those are just the one-on-one interviews and like the, the roundtables, let alone me and Pascal have the improvement season. So if we chuck those in as well, it's an absurd number. <laughs> exactly, right? So, I mean, you are one of the people, I, I look at people like, uh, what's it, my goodness, I haven't, uh, the Fitcast, Kevin Larrabee. And Dan yes. who's been doing this stuff for forever. And there, there's a bunch of people who really are the foundational people behind fitness podcasting, right? And, and it's, mine and, and Guido's initial incarnation was very heavily influenced by all of you guys and what you guys are doing. Awesome. Great to have you on. And a little bit about you, obviously you're an online coach, you own Revive Stronger Online Coaching, you're a natural bodybuilder. There's a whole bunch of media that comes along with it, which is actually what I want to talk about because you will talk uh, training and muscle hypertrophy and all this sort of stuff to death with Mike Isertel. You're very close at Mike. Mike's been on your podcast a million times. But I actually wanted to dig into the the business side of what you've done and the career growth because a lot of the okay. a lot of my listeners are actually kind of fitness professionals. So let's let's start here. I wanted to see could you describe the path and timeline it took for you to build your career before the bigger brand name, the the, sure. the bigger scale media started to grow because I think a lot of people get this impression there are people who they've always been there, always been successful, well known, or it kind of happened overnight. Yes, no, absolutely. So no, I'm, I'm definitely down for talking about this sort of thing and sharing kind of where I've come from in that experience. And if it helps anyone that that's awesome. So I think probably the first like social media back when I was on it initially, I didn't really view it as a business proposition. Actually, when I started the podcast, it wasn't like a business venture even. Whereas now I think like I, I do view those things as business ventures and m- most people listening probably do too. But I actually started, did I think a YouTube, the YouTube channel actually that hosts the podcast. If you really want to bore yourself and cringe a lot, you can look back at the first videos that are on that channel. And they're just little me in like 2010, kind of talking about things, posting out some of my training and things like this, doing some awful posing, being skinny as hell. Uh, so that's where I kind of started just sharing my journey. That That's how everything began for me. And that's because I just fell in love with bodybuilding when I was at university. And then after that, and I, I never viewed it as a career. I kind of thought about doing personal training, but my parents were like, oh, you want to be a personal trainer? Like you went to university. Surely you could do something like that's going to, be, you know, I don't know. Yeah, personal training, I think, uh, for rightly or wrongly, a lot of people look at it as kind of like one of those lesser careers or what have you. And I think my parents were kind of a little bit down that line. So I went into working as a merchandiser for like a big uh, retail company here, which is actually where I met my girlfriend who I'm still with at this time, like eight years on. So that was great for that reason. But I found that whilst I was there, my passion for bodybuilding was just growing and growing. And I was just digesting. This was like the birth of almost evidence-based, I think initially from like bodyrecomposition.com with Barr McDonald. Matt August was becoming popular on the scene in like 2010, 2014, like through those years. And I just loved all of it. Ian McCarthy, I don't know if you remember Ian McCarthy, Andrew. See, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, and, and I'll sort of be kind of unvarnished about this sort of thing. Before, really very early in my 
explorations of this stuff and, and YouTube, whatever, I came across Ian a little bit and he rubbed me the wrong way. And I have had no interactions with him over the years and I've had no inclination to do so. And that probably is something that maybe I should keep an open mind. You also mentioned Lyle McDonald. Lyle is one of the few people that is persona non grata with me. He's actually been an asshole to me and about a million other people I know. So, and that's kind of a general sentiment, but Matt Ogus I've interacted with. I know he's legit. Now, yep. I also know you're going to drop names like Eric Helms, who is as respectable and well-liked as they get. Probably Martin McDonald, Danny Lennon, Mike Isertel, and the entire Renaissance organization team, Menu Henselmans, and on and on, right? Like, there's a legacy of really incredible people out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and likewise, uh, just to be honest, the same with you. And Well, Ian, um, Ian McCarthy, I've not really interacted much with, so I know he's a bit of a aloof character at this stage. But when I was first coming across his content, I was like, wow, this is a guy that's thinking about things in bodybuilding. I've not seen, like, he's actually thinking about things like a little bit more. My exposure before that was like flex magazines and just the big guys in the gym and everything like this. So it was really interesting. I, I remember being at work and I'd have him on YouTube and I'd be writing notes like, like I was meant to be at work doing actual work. Uh, so yeah, it, it just became very obvious. This was my passion. Like obviously Matt August led me to 3DMJ natural bodybuilding. I was like, wow, this is all amazing. So I got really heavily invested in all of that. And I kind of came to a point in my career where I was either like, I'm going to try and kind of get promotion and this is going to be my thing. And I'm just going to be a, bodybuilder on the side or what have you but i decided to get a qualification as a personal trainer like they're fairly actually easy to get uh, they're probably the same in the us super easy so yeah i just did that on the weekend so i'd educate myself along with everything i already knew and then became qualified and like i said i just came to a point where i was like i'm either going to go down the route of kind of this office work or i'm going to become a one-on-one -on -one pt and there was an opening at my current gym where i was still living at home so it was all very convenient for me and the guys employed me there. So I was a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer for like seven months. So barely any time. And I was like, I'm not the most, I'm introverted by nature. And I would say just, I'm confident when I know people and when I'm in a position where I'm comfortable, but when I'm not, I just go into my shell. So being a one-on-one -on -one PT felt so much like being a salesperson. I was so out of my comfort zone. And so I, I really liked a lot of confidence doing that. And at the same time, I decided to pull the plug on doing a contest prep. So I kind of was, and I had, I was pretty ignorant to things like neat. So I was just like sat down all the time and I thought that was fine. And my cardio went really high. I was kind of ignorant to all the impacts on like libido and brain function and just how dog shit you essentially feel when you get shredded. And so I wasn't growing very well as a PT at that time, but I was documenting it all. So my social media presence was growing because people are like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. He's getting shredded. And also kids, or I say kids, like kind of the people in the years slightly below me saw that I was, I, I got the nickname compound guy because I was doing like compound lifts and they were just doing bicep curls and isolation lifts. So they, and I was getting very lean and leaner than any of anyone else in the gym was. So they clearly knew I was doing kind of something right. And they were very interested. And I was like, oh. Like I knew about this online coaching thing a little bit. I was like, maybe I can help some of you. So I can distinctly remember charging like 30 pounds per month, which is like hilariously low at this stage, but you have to start somewhere, right? That's what like everyone says. You even, I was helping some people for free at the beginning. And uh, that's where I really began growing that online side. And I was like, oh, I can sit behind a desk. This is great. This is all good. And I also started blogging. So I know another contact of yours is Jonathan Goodman. 
Good with friend. PTDC. So that is something I did blog for the purpose of like, this is going to get awareness to me, the brand. And I had uh, like a WordPress free website, but they were picking up some of these articles and putting them in their kind of articles of the week. So this was amazing for me. This really helped me grow in the industry initially. Obviously, blogs and things started to die off a little bit. Instagram kind of grew and popularized. And so I was on there and growing a profile. And through that period of time, I grew a reasonable client base. I think I had about 20 clients making like 20 grand uh, like for the year. And I was like, oh, I can move out from home but this is a risk to move in with my girlfriend. And I moved into London and I just like put everything into it. So then this is where uh, I think there became another opportunity. I don't know if you ever came across uh, Mike Samuels, Andrew, from Healthy Lifting, Heavy Lifting or something. It was, I always forget, HLHL was his like brand name, but he was was, uh, kind of not a mentor to me, but someone I really looked up to in the industry. He was always like a step ahead of me. And he had an online coaching business. And I actually got a job with him to be a coach on his team. But by the time that happened, I was already in a position where I didn't need it. And he wanted to bring over Mike Israel. So I wasn't the first person that actually thought, oh, we should bring over Mike Israel and the RP crew. It was Mike. So I have a lot to owe to Mike Samuels, who isn't even in the specifically doing online coaching or anything now. He's gone to copywriting. Uh, but we brought over Mike and we brought over James and uh, kind of ran that seminar. And I just, I was just blown away by, I had never seen someone present the way they presented information and they also had a different take which opened up my eyes to like nuance and differences of opinion because i don't just only really been exposed like 3dmj and their kind of experience with natural bodybuilding and things like this and what their kind of principles were and their programming and they liked a lot of power building at that time and mike was much like all about specificity and all these principles and i was like wow like this is different this is new and exciting and like it like like anything when it comes in you're like excited by it you hope it's not just like i don't know a trend that comes in and out like fads and they always come through but then i just built a relationship with mike at this time and there was questions after the seminar and i was like uh, can we ask some of these questions can we do a podcast on it and then it went really well we had a, like a load of fun and that's where those q a's it was like a q a with dr mike and almost every week at that point and mike allowed me to grow confidence well, doing those with Mike grew my confidence to then invite other people I kind of had been to their seminars. So people like Brad Schoenfeld, um, that, the like. So then bringing them on, again, drew eyes because Brad has a huge following. Every time I bring him onto the podcast, I get loads of eyes on Revive Stronger and myself, which is great. So it was just the initial podcast was to just like get awareness and to have chats with people. And like, I was like, Brad, more people need to hear your stuff. Like, let's have a chat and see if like people want to listen to it. So that's where the podcast grew from was like that Q&A type of format with Mike. And then like, if you, you probably have listened to some of the original ones, like my setup, the internet was terrible. Like it was all awful. And uh, internet is like the, the holy grail of online coaching now. Like if I didn't have good internet, I couldn't do my job at all like I do now. But that really propelled things. So I don't know if that's like a good stopping point. But the initial was like competing and then the podcast and doing that with Mike and then some of the bigger names in the industry. I'll, I'll jump on a couple of things here because I'm laughing the entire time. It's like <laughs> my story. I remember I went to business school. I didn't set out to be a personal trainer early on. And when I did pivot, I remember, you know, my dad kind of being hesitant about me leaving this other job, which was stable. It was terrible. No future about stepping into PT. And I was hesitant. I got a very simple training certification. It's why 
I don't like when I hear coaches with gatekeeper type language, negativity around weekend certifications or unqualified trainers or whatever. It's like, Hey guys, we all started somewhere. And there's a lot of skilled, capable people who got into the industry from some other career, had some practical experience. A lot of my formative stuff was hanging around with a, an IFBB pro bodybuilder friend of mine back in Newfoundland, Canada. Um, reading flex and muscle and fitness magazines never could imagine like 20 years later i'd be writing for muscle and fitness and stuff like that which is nuts and i remember again just working out at this gym here in edmonton alberta and the trainers the staff kind of bugging me to come work there so it's like you're telling my story too yeah and then um I just remember all those humble beginnings and of course getting exposed to Renaissance periodization. Mike at a certain point, Mike got brought here to Edmonton, got to know him, sit down, have dinner with him. So there are so many funny parallels and I wanted to grab onto the, and, and started writing, blogging, meeting Jonathan Goodman in 2018 and some of his people who chose the weekly best articles, some of my stuff got it started getting shared on there. So for anybody listening, you hear all these parallels. I mean, your story is not going to be exactly the same, but there's all these kind of humble beginnings to all this stuff. And it's about leaning into these things and being interested. And I wanted to kind of mention the, the YouTube thing. So my podcasting got started as YouTube kind of as well. I was dabbling in it. And then my friend said, hey, come on, let's do a podcast. But I also remember a lot of people who at that time were getting a lot of traction on YouTube because they were documenting. And this is a big thing. They were just documenting what they were doing. Jeff Nippard, who is enormous in this world and my buddy Matty Fusaro right again a lot of just yeah I know Matty Matty's awesome right and yeah. they're just documenting what they're doing and yeah I think getting in that stuff early on helped YouTube's kind of tricky too because you get a lot of infotainment stuff or some people who definitely blur the lines with what I think is credible information but there still are a lot of really good people who have done well Omar Isaf is another guy who absolutely crushes on YouTube right and he's a very evidence-based so let's take that a little further. And when did you set about building your online business? Because you mentioned the start of that. And especially things like developing courses within your work, scaling your online business. What was involved with that? Did you have a clear idea or you're figuring out as you went along? Just anything about that and maybe weave it in a way that could help someone who doesn't know where to start to try to... because. A lot of us, hey, I do online coaching and I now have a group online strength program for women that I have with a partner. But I think a lot of people are wondering, all right, well, how do I scale and build something bigger? Yes, yeah, a great uh, discussion point, actually, because uh, I will say from the outset, everything pretty much to this point has been uh, learning as I go. So very little has been pre-thought out and pre-planned and, oh, I want to like don't know, earn a certain amount or charge a certain amount or have a certain number of clients. It's all just been, oh, this is going well. Let's put more into this. Or this is going well. Let's put more into this. Oh, I'm like full of capacity. Let's have a waiting list. Oh, I can probably increase my prices, this sort of thing. So it's very much the, the beginnings for me was always about, I just had a huge passion for helping people because the kind of birth of Revive Stronger was me recovering from an accident and really bad in ill health. And that's where the name came from. So that kind of experience to me, I was like, man, I was all the way at ground zero. I managed to take myself all the way. And that's why I competed for the first time in natural bodybuilding. Cause I was like, I want to prove to myself that kind of accident and that ill health is behind me. If I can do this most extreme thing to my body and recover from it. Okay. I'm like, 
great. Like I can do anything. I felt like almost invincible at that stage. I was like, if I can do this, I can, I can help others do something similar. I know so many people that struggle to like lose a few pounds or whatever. And it's like, wow, like I, there's so much that can be done there. So that's where I initially came from, but I would help anyone. So my initial, actually, this is probably informative for people is because I was that one-on-one PT. I don't know if you had this, Andrew, where you would start working with people online and they'd refer people. So a lot of the people initially I worked with were people in the gym and then like their friends. And then it was people I went to school with who maybe I wasn't even friends with. So it was like that immediate network. So you had the same. I have over the years, I, I teach about referral business. So it's, uh, I have referral networks, like chains that started got almost when I started my career, it's creep, it's 11 and a half years now that started within that first year that are still alive today. There's two particular chains of referrals where I still have a bunch of active clients from it. Each of those chains has resulted in more than 1,000 one-on-one personal training sessions. So wow. yeah, I, I know that stuff. Like there's yeah, just your presence, your the way that you interact with everybody, not just the person that might potentially be a customer in front of you, but just one of those chains started because I smiled at a member who decided he wanted to use his leftover sessions with me, and it just turned into. <laughs> yeah. So like that stuff's important and how you are, your body language, the way you're smiling, the way that you engage with the person who in the gym, you think would never plausibly buy training from you. I can't count the number of people who have referred me business over the years who are people who would never need to hire me as a trainer, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So that kind of, again, it wasn't something I sought to do, but I, I've heard business mentors or people talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's exactly how it happened for me. It was like my close network of people, then referring out to people there. And so I, obviously there's that like, like, uh, like know and trust element to business. And so I guess it's that like, these are people who knew me, they had an understanding of me. But then once you, st- and this is why social media is so important for online trainers is people get to know you they get to like you they get to trust you if you never put your if you're a brandless kind of a faceless brand sorry i think it's so hard to like want personal trainer. who who am i getting it with like they just put out information and like i can get that from a textbook what is this so that's something that's been the core for me is like sharing my journey because that's what i love doing and people have got so much from that as well and i think there's a lot to learn from following other people's journey so i've held that as the core way of kind of bringing people in and then you just attract people slowly that you want to work with more. When I first started, it was just like everyone and anyone I could have as a client, I would help. And I don't know if that's the, the best way to do things. If I, I think in some sense you need an income. And so if someone wants to help and you can help them in, in some sort of way, like that's good. You have a point. Let's jam on that for a second, because I think that's most trainers experience. It's certainly mine. It's yeah. very hard. I mean, the, the trainer who wants to come in and, oh, I want to work with high-level athletes. Guess what? You're, that's not going to happen because no one knows who you are. They're going to be seeking out high-level people in the industry. But you have to expose yourself to different types of clientele, uh, age, gender, um, t- goals, you name it, personalities, in order to find out what works for you. And over time, as you develop, your media and your reputation develops around what you like working with. And if you're busy, then... People will self, the right kind of people will self-select to you. And hopefully you're in a position where you'll be able to say no to the wrong fit. Because one of my favorite books on this book, Yourself Solid by a guy named Michael Port. If you continuously, after the early phase of your career, work with people that drain your energy, emotional vampires, 
you're struggling, they're outside of your actual skill set. It's going to diminish your experience, burn your energy, and you won't enjoy it. You will not actually be able to sustain the kind of energy to do all the things to grow your career. And you will project that energy to all the, the people that you interact with on a daily basis. And you're going to wonder, why am I struggling? But if you're happy or fulfilled, you really love being around the clients you work with, then you'll project that energy in all of those little interactions. And I've experienced this. I've lived this for years. The book nails it. And this is actually one of the most important things about setting up a successful, sustainable career and avoiding things like burnout. I work some pretty crazy days, but I pause and I think I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited to this client, this client, this client, my, my client, Larry, right. He's the guy I post all the, the videos of him lifting really heavy on. And, and most people are pretty familiar with him. He's 72, I think sometime in the next month or so. And he can 450 pound trap bar deadlift for a single, right. And everybody just freaks out. They love this guy. I love hanging out with him. It's a joy. Like actually I get him this afternoon. So that's something I look forward to. My last client of the day is this cardiologist who I've been friends with for years. He's a blast. I have no trouble making it through the day to actually spend an hour laughing when he's talking. Right. So ex totally true. Yeah. And one-on-one -on -one, I can, I think that's really easy to perceive like hanging out with people that like just drain your energy, but even online, the same thing is there because they might have issues or things they're going through that you just so unrelatable to you potentially. Like I'm a like quite competitive natural bodybuilder. So I'm quite at one extreme. So if I have someone who's super gem pop, maybe female makes it a little bit tougher because I'm not that gender, then it, it, I'm probably not the ideal person to help them. I might have some ideas of how to help them and I probably can do something. And at the start of your career, like you said, you almost have to, because you can't select like your clients. You're not at that stage. Whereas you almost, and you're right, I haven't, I don't rarely turn people down because most people that come to us now and for the last like four or five years, they're already the ideal client. They've been following for a long time. They are that guy that's maybe a few years behind where I'm at. And that's almost everyone I work with are coaches, personal trainers, like uh, people who want to compete eventually are, are early competitors within their career. But that's taken time. And I think like you said, when you first start it, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to help natural body builders get to stage. It's like, dude, you've competed once as a novice. You haven't done particularly well. You have barely any experience. How are you going to take someone to, like, the world championships? Like, it's just not going to happen. You have to earn that. And just, the, like, the people that want to work with, like, high-level athletes, you have to work with the people, kind of, a, a wider range, and then you niche down as you go. And that's something that we've definitely been successful in. I think it's just part of what what's up. I found passion, like my passion has been natural bodybuilding, growing muscle, losing fat, getting to stage. And that's just drawn people who have that passion as well in that niche. So all my content has kind of flowed that way too. But like I said, I, I, I learned a lot of harsh realities at that first beginning point where it was just, I, I always looked, and it's like you said, you smile to people on the gym floor. Every client I have come to me, I want to have a good experience. Like I never want there to be bad blood. I want to be able to kind of converse with them well and have a good understanding. And that's something I really struggled with at the beginning because all my coaching was done through email. And I think some people can do that really successfully. Like Andy Morgan, I think, so basically almost completely what uses email. Well, he can nail that. As soon as you said it, Andy Morgan. Yeah. Exactly. He, he can nail that, but I also think he brings in a client who has that understanding and actually enjoys that rather than having to do a video. Whereas I struggle with text and that's what I was struggling with. They were like, you can perceive words differently when it's written versus when you hear it or see it uh, spoken to you. So I started to move to video check-ins, which I 
got from 3dmj because i knew they did video check-ins with their clients and so i think i was one of the first like i guess there weren't many online coaches when i got into it actually so i was probably one of the early adopters of the video format too but also just an early adopter in terms of online coaching but that helped so much because the rapport you can build with a client you can answer questions you can really deliver value that made me enjoy the process so much more and i think the clients got better results because they understood how to do things better and when they're enjoying it more, you're getting better results. You're doing a good job. You share that good job on social media. People are like, wow, like this is, this guy's giving so much value to his clients. They're getting great results. And it's almost like it markets itself. I've never really had to push, like do all the, I think now because it's becoming quite saturated versus where it was, people are having to do it. Like there were no business mentors for online coaches when I started. Whereas now there's like every other kind of online coaches are now a business coach, you know, like it's just how the scenes moved and I can see why, but I think a lot of those fundamentals still hold. Like I, I see some of the people just saying like, do a good job with your clients. Like they can refer people and like share those results. It's like talk about what you're doing with clients. And it's like that gets forgotten because people just focus on, I don't know, marketing and they see you don't know the big influences online and how they're big and they've got loads of followers and things it's like those things don't matter so much <laughs> like work on the fundamentals initially so that that really helped doing the the kind of video check-ins and then i got to a point where i think i just always knew i wanted someone with me on the business i didn't want to just be on my own uh i it's quite lonely i don't know how andy does it actually i haven't spoken to him a whole lot about this but like if you're an online coach, you work from home all day and you have no one on your team. You don't interact with anyone. I know he, I think he has employees actually, or people at least who work on, on the brand. He's got Naoto who's in Vancouver. Andy brought his team to, I met him in 2017 at the Kansas city fitness summit and he brought Naoto. And I, I think he has at least one more person. And I think something else, Andy has his friends in the industry. He's very close with Eric Helms. I mean, they've written books together, uh, I think you, you just develop in that world, these relationships. It's kind of funny. Like we sometimes think that trainers, people you meet on your, on your trips or, you know, you talk to over social media, Oh, they're not real friends. And I've actually seen people who kind of say crap like that. Then I think, yeah. about it, I mean, I've got a lot of very close friends that I haven't seen in years, or at least the last couple of years, they're still my close friends. We could pick up why is that any different from someone I get to see once a year in my travels at a fitness conference who we interact with a lot, or you stay in regular contact with, you would consider Mike Isotel a very close friend. I mean, how many hours have you actually technically ever spent in person with him, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably kind of limited, but then we stop and think we actually spend way more time with most of our clients, at least in-person coaches. Yeah. So it's weird how people put these boxes around who's our friend and who's not our friend. And I think, Hey, embrace the industry. A lot of the people who have the most in common with us and will be the most fulfilling to interact with are people who are in other places. Edmonton has a thriving training community, but there's also not a lot of people here who kind of like want the same things I do, have the same ambitions, same goals sort of thing. So I find that it's really fulfilling to interact with my friends who are all over Canada and the US and the world. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Each person's own experience is different and I can't speak to what yeah. kind of like, you know, Andy's is like, plus there's also I, most of my close real world, world friends. I don't put that stuff up on my social media much. Like that's kind of a whole different thing. Not most of them aren't even in the fitness industry. So yeah. not everybody gets to really see that kind of dynamic either. Yeah. Uh, it, well said as well. Cause, and I think online coaching 
it might draw a certain type of person too. like I like spreadsheets I'm introverted like I like being on my own quite a lot so it does draw me in but for whatever reason I think there were two things one I think I kind of just wanted someone to have on the brand with me just because I just for by, like uh, selfish reasons but also I think I capped myself at 20 clients at one point where I was like I can't handle more than 20 clients and I still have people who want coaching from me. So let's bring someone else on. Now, 20 clients, like 20 clients seems ridiculous to me now. I must have been so inefficient back then, like creating a program it took me like two hours or something. Whereas now it's like way more efficient and I have better systems in place. But this led to me bringing Pascal on in 2017. And actually, I'm, I'll rewind very quickly. I did have some early, actually, and this was a similar time to when Pascal came on the team, some early mentoring with uh, Andy when I actually brought him on the podcast the first time. Afterwards, he was like, oh, like, I think he just could tell I was early in this. I was interested and I, he wanted to help me out. And I think he was just being a really genuinely very nice guy. And he mentored me for, it may have been like a few months where we'd have like a weekly call or every other week. Uh, and it just, there became a point where it was like, I didn't need that help anymore. And so like, I just ended up flourishing, which is fantastic. And I, I owe a lot to him for that, just for just the fact that he's even like just seeing value in me and thinking this is someone who I think can do good for the industry. That was enough for me to kind of use that as confidence to grow. But I brought Pascal on and that forced me to do a lot of things in terms of like setting him up, but also he forced me to systemize a lot of things and focus on like quality and things like this. Whereas before, and to get the business where it was, it was just like quantity, like consistency, just put out something. Like if I've got things on my mind, I'm putting them out there and uh, not to say everything was low quality, but, but could definitely be improved. Whereas he was like, right, we need to have like contracts in place. We need to have all these various systems in place. And that allowed the business just to even more so flourish. He started editing the podcast and making that more professional. So just like, Pascal brought this German efficiency and quality to the brand that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And then that, that relationship has just kind of flourished because we're actually at the time, I didn't realize it when I went through the process of actually I had like, I did like a whole, it's crazy to think back. That's how I did it. But I had people like apply for a role at Revive Stronger. So they've sent in like their CV, they then kind of did like some infographics and social media work. And I kind of rated that. And then I went to like an interview stage after they did like a program for like a random person I set up. And Pascal just nailed it every single step. By the time we got to interview, I knew he was going to be the person I'd bring on. And at the time, I didn't realize how different we were as people though. And I think that's actually helped us with the business because I'm, I don't know how to put it, but he's, I'm more like, I don't, I'm not even sure how to put how to put it, but he's more straight down the line, says it how it how it is, uh, very much like this is what we're doing, blah blah blah. Whereas I'm a little, I'm a bit more of a soft touch, and like I'll be the person that stays later than they should at like a party or whatever, just because other people are staying, and I feel like I should be there. Whereas he's like, eh, it's my bedtime, I'm going or whatever it is, and he's he he brings that efficiency and structure to the team that maybe it lacked, and then I have the. The, the front face and I like being out there. I like being on social media. I like sharing what I'm doing, whereas he likes being behind the scenes. So it's just allowed that kind of, we've been kind of synergistic in that sense. So that really helped the business take a, a next step. And I think if I was to say, what's the takeaway for others, it isn't necessarily that you need to bring people on, but it's a case of outsourcing things. And if you want to grow, sometimes you have to find someone else to take on something that you're doing, because when you're doing everything, as a business owner, it just becomes overwhelming and you're working so much in the business, you can't work on it. 
and then see it flourish and grow. And so I think that's really helped us just continue to grow and build on, build, uh, bring on other coaches like Harry, Ryan, who actually was an intern for a long time and then eventually kind of came on it as a coach as well. And there are a lot of people in the industry who have scaled businesses and they're still the face of it. And we don't necessarily see all the faces behind, but a lot of times those faces kind of want to be in the background. It takes many forms where it's, again, I, Brenda says periodization is a good, you know, uh, example of all this because Nick Shaw, who is now starting to kind of step out on his yeah. own, written a book, awesome human being, but he's really, you know, he's been more the business and systems guy versus Mike, who is obviously the, the content, the face of it, very gregarious, outgoing sort of personality. And then you get the team. A lot of them are friends or they, you know, bring someone along who's a really great fit, whether it's James Hoffman, Melissa Davis, et cetera. Awesome people. Renaissance periodization is also a model of success. And sometimes there's survivorship bias when it comes to that. But I think there's a lot of lessons there. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with my pal, Luca Hosevar. So Luca's a gym owner in the Seattle area, really dynamic personality, big, high energy, the face of everything. But he's built a, a gym and he's got a lot of really great people and he treats his people really well. And I think a lot of those people are really just happy to, to be there and to, you know, to have the work and are fulfilled by it, but they don't necessarily have a craving for Luca's kind of a, a high energy work ethic monster. Like he's hustling, grinding nonstop, very caffeine fueled, at least used to be anyway. There's a lot of bang energy in his videos. Nice. That seems to have disappeared. So maybe he's transitioned off, but he's everywhere presenting, traveling to things, you, you name it. Right. And not everybody has the bandwidth for something like that. Um, I'm a little bit more inclined that way, but maybe you're someone who, instead of wanting to build something from the ground up, you want to be a coach. Are you familiar with uh, Stronger You in the US? My friend Mike. I Dole. have seen it, yes. <laughs> so that's my friend Mike Dola's company. He's actually technically sold it now, but got a lot of friends who current or former coaches in that company because sometimes they're really just happy working with the person as opposed to being the face of the brand. They don't want to get out. They don't want to build a social media. And I always remind myself that the things that I value and leaning into writing for different publications and having the podcast and having a, a growing social media presence is not something that everybody else has the time, emotional energy, or the bandwidth to be able to do. And a lot of people don't want to. So I like a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, because I think it, it speaks to people on both sides of that fence to yeah. how they might like to do it because maybe it's a person who's thinking about building out the business, but maybe it's a person who's looking to be part of something and wants to work with someone else who's more comfortable being in that front facing role. No, absolutely. And I think that's something we've also done is like recognize our strengths and also what we enjoy. And so like, I, I remember when Pascal first came on, I was like, Oh yeah, you could host the podcast. Like every other week he was like, you're the host of the podcast i'll edit it, the podcast and uh so it was things like this where it's just recognizing one another's skills and strengths and then rather than yeah like if everyone wants to be the face of like a, a company you you you've got to be separate individuals it's just not going to work that way so that is also a struggle though because inevitably I imagine if like Mike was a coach, say at RP, he would just be like, everyone would put his name. They'd all be on his waiting list, whatever. Cause he's obviously a huge face of that brand. And there is an element of that. And so I have had to be careful to at times, like me and Pascal, the improvement season It's great because it got Pascal's face out there more. And he likes doing those chats with me. And so he, he at the same time though, in the last couple of years has no, recognized that he needs to put his Instagram. Like he doesn't need to be on there as much as I am 
but he needs to put a little bit out there just because if again if people buy a coach they buy a face like they want to know who you are if you haven't got a social media presence full stop like i just i don't know like someone's just gonna be like oh i don't know who this person is and i've noticed that the people I, I see as truly successful on a big scale and the people I find really likable, even if they're the face of something, and Mike Isertel and Luca Hosfar are two great examples of this, they encourage and support their other people to embrace it if they want. P2Pui at Cressy Sports Performance, he's always really great about that. And, you know, if their coaches want to have something more, you know, front facing, they're welcome to. Because they, they want those people, they trust those people, and they want those people to flourish in their environment. And if they move on, well, they're, they're happy to see that they moved on. Again, Mike Dola with Stronger You. They were always great about all their coaches you know, stepping out and, and being more well-known. And Mike is very good friends with a lot of the coaches who have grown beyond that company and have left. So he's kept up those relationships. So that says a lot. And I won't say any names, but I've noticed a very, very small handful of individuals in the industry who... Uh, there's a great deal of ego, egocentrism in their own face and brand, and they don't coexist well or share limelight with their other their coaches. So therefore, they tend to attract very quiet personalities who they can, they're more authoritarian in how they, they run their businesses. And I noticed there's just a lot of ego and egocentrism in it. But I've also noticed that those people outside of very narrow pockets, they tend not to thrive with relationships in the broader industry. And it tends to cap just how much growth that they actually achieve. So I really believe that if you support and foster and at least give the opportunity for your people to want to step into that role, and it's not just about you, then I think that's the best formula from what I've observed. No, I agree. And I think that's the only way for your brand to really, really grow. Cause again, you're, you're capping yourself at whatever you can do. And if you're also trying to coach, like it's just, there's only so much you can do in that time. So if people can kind of like not for, I guess it's the wrong word, but like pick up the slack, but if they can help you on that front and they can be there, like you should support that. And ultimately it's like, I don't know, for me, why did I get into this? And I think back and it's like, oh, I want to help people. So if I, more people I can get towards coach Harry or whatever, the more people he can help. And ultimately there's more people we're totally helping. And that's also why when I initially started everything, it was like revive with Stephen Hall. And I was like, I want to remove my name, make it revive stronger. Cause like, then it can be something bigger, but it is still, there is still a little bit of a hurdle. Cause when people do associate and it is so strongly associated with my story, at least to some individuals, I think a lot of people just re revive is just like a fitness name now. So a lot of people just they see revive stronger, like, Oh yeah, it's just a cool name or whatever. Um, but some people do really kind of, hold on to the, the initial kind of story there but yeah i think the podcast would be helped with that because people get to really see into other coaches so we have like the coaching corner which we've been a bit slack on recently but we bring on the other coaches there so we can bring them on and interview them get them to share their knowledge because like you're not the smartest person for everything everyone has their own experiences and so you can share more knowledge that way too so yeah it's it's got to a really good point and it's we tried, uh, and I'd say we're at the point where we're struggling for what's next for the brand in terms of we tried the members site. I say tried because it wasn't as successful as we had hoped it to be because members sites, I don't know, there's various reasons it could have fallen on its face. And I wouldn't say members sites are just dead. I think there are some very popular ones, but it's just trying to find that next thing for us because I'm also, maybe it's a little bit of just like, everyone's got their own like eBooks and products. I'm like, there's already so much great information out there. What can we add? So it's just trying to find our place, but I'm also quite comfortable coaching and 
earning a good living, helping people that way. And just like that continuing to grow, but that's kind of where we're at. So it's, it's like, I think, how big do you want? Like you get to a point where you're happy with what you're doing. How much bigger do you want it to be? Is it worth the extra strain and like stress or time that that's going to take? Or do you want to kind of hold where you are? And I, I'm not sure. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not sure either about like, and I try to absorb as much as I can. I try to expose myself to a lot of different ideas and, and people and successful models, but also see through the matrix on who's really successful versus who's making a really good show of it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff within that. It, I don't have the answers as to how to scale and grow something because can I recreate what like Mike and, and, um, and Nick have done with RP? My God, no, right? Or, or what John Berardi's done with PN. You know, I'm not even interested in trying that sort of thing or what John Goodman has done with the PTDC. And John's great because he is actually very transparent about the process and the pivots and the changes of direction and, and what he's done. So I really enjoy following kind of what he's doing with that. And then there are some people, the physical gym owners, I use Luca as a good example of that because he has that physical gym space despite all his media that's bigger than it or Pete Dupuis at Cressy Sports Performance because I know Pete quite well. I mean, Eric Cressy is obviously the, the, more of the face of it, but Pete's sure. and, and Tony Gentilcore, who's no longer part of it. Like I knew those guys. I've never actually met Eric. So I like looking at what they're all doing. And I don't, the, I, the day-to-day of running a physical space doesn't interest me, but I contract at my friend's place, which, and he's brilliant at it and thrives. So I don't, I pay a little bit of rent and I have a full gym to play around in. Why on earth would I actually want to own this thing? You have to know what you're doing in order to scale it, right? So I still haven't figured out how do I scale beyond just me because we are limited by our time and, and what have you. And it's been fun. I've been doing really well with it. But, and I look at what different people are doing. And more recently, I'm doing my friend Joel Jameson's uh, certified conditioning course. So or conditioning certification, BioForce. And Joel's ultra successful. Um, he's works with a lot of high level UFC fighters. He's worked with... Um, a lot of people, a lot of special forces stuff, military, and dude has a helicopter, just flies around Seattle, right? So owns a gym there and he's built up some really cool courses and he's really good with kind of the, I guess, like, almost like the, the marketing side of stuff. And he's got a very quiet presence, but he's one of these legitimately successful people who there's, there's no ego or bravado in any of it. He just built it. So I like looking at what someone like that is doing and this course that he's built is phenomenal. So everybody's out there, not everybody, but a lot of people are trying to go out and build a course or like you mentioned, eBooks or eBooks are, are kind of 2005. <laughs> They're not as sure. lucrative anymore, but that's not to say you can't turn around and do something like what Lane Norton did or RP. And they did the really big, super high quality evidence-based eBooks that you can now get physical printed copies of a lot of because they've scaled. So there's a lot of stuff out there and some of it may seem really big scale, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can't start in a very humble place and grow in that direction because Mike and Nick were once pro personal trainers that built this whole thing, right? John Berardi's story is fairly famous. If you get into Luca's story, him and his brother were training people in the woods in Slovenia. And then they had this little like garage space. And then they moved to another bigger garage space uh, in, in, in Seattle area. And now Luca has one of the most beautiful gyms over a very long career and all the other things he's built out. So it's fun to look at those stories and those humble beginnings because there are a lot of lessons embedded in there. And that's why I bring people like you on here to dig into that stuff for the person yeah. who's newer in their career. And it's kind of thinking, well, I, I used to think, Hey, there was this, there were two tiers of trainers, you know, people like me on the gym floor and this group that wrote for publications like T nation appeared on fitness podcasts and all this sort of high level stuff. And I didn't understand 
how you went from one to the other. And I thought this is a special insider thing. And over time, as I've added up a lot of work that's kind of led to being very much in the space of that other side, I kind of look at it and go, okay, cool. Well, it's a lot of work. It doesn't happen overnight. But actually, here's the process. Here's the path. Here's the stuff you can do. Let's pull back the veil a bit and let other coaches see. And if you're willing to lean into brand vehicles, your big one was the podcast, right? And again, Danny Lennon has done it through podcasting and a number of other people. Podcasting has been one of the big things. For some people, it's YouTube. For some people, it's writing or some combination. And I love that stuff. Uh, any parting thoughts? Um, any, any other insight? Yeah. Sure. No, yeah. The only thing I will say is like, uh, you probably see this as well, Andrew. I have seen people like come and go within the industry and they can have a, like an initial, like they can grow very quickly, but then like somehow they go. And I, I think that comes around from, I, I may, and I wouldn't, I want to say actually what I've done to kind of be sustainable is I've always just enjoyed what I'm doing. Always take on, like, I, I, I like to take on almost sometimes a bit more than what I'm comfortable with, but never so much that it's going to hurt the soul of the business in terms of the clients clients are always first they always come first because that will always come back to haunt you so if you have like if your clients are always singing your praises like that's only going to help that's like the foundation for any future growth that's going to happen because you're a genuine good person so i think those are some things that i'd say if anyone's starting up like number one you're a coach you're a personal trainer always make sure you're taking care of all of that and never get too greedy where you're just trying to take on more than you can and kind of take it in small steps that's what i'd say at least as like a final thought i don't think there's a better final thought uh where can people find your podcast your social media more about your work first of all i just want to say thank you for having me on andrew always a pleasure chatting it's always nice to be on a podcast versus the interviewer uh <laughs> so i can talk a little bit more uh, although i quite like just sitting back and just feeling like cool i'll just listen um so yeah if people want to find out more about revive stronger revive stronger.com is our website all of our online coaching and kind of the podcast and everything can be found there. Uh, if you want to find us on YouTube again, just search Revive Stronger over on Spotify or on YouTube. The podcast will come up, and I'm also under Revive Stronger at Instagram, which is where I'm most present. And maybe I, I have to start on TikTok at some point. Are you on TikTok, Andrew? <laughs> I have one video and an account. And real quick, I think TikTok is where there's still real estate to grow. Um, my pal, Eric Roberts has done a really wonderful job of blowing the fuck up on TikTok to the point where he's got a thriving business. He's also done a really good job of writing articles. Uh, I think he's done YouTube stuff, but he's really focused in and on his business. I think I have some nuanced thoughts about TikTok. First of all, I think that way too many people are doing very crappy reels on Instagram because they think they're supposed to do it. I think video if you do a really great job and you lean into it, you learn the skills, there's a lot of growth potential there. And I think it can be a great thing to lean into TikTok. I really believe you need to back it up with other quality resources um, and have more substance than just social media. That's something I feel very strongly about. And I kind of laugh because I see these people and I haven't seen much of it, but occasionally I'll see someone who's got, I don't know, 20,000 some odd followers on Instagram but in their Instagram bio is, you know, 740,000 or yeah, yeah, 140,000 TikTok followers. And that's a pet peeve of mine. I don't believe in policing what people do, but it's like you're screaming insecurity and you're screaming like people complain about vanity metrics. You're basically saying the most significant thing about me is the fact that I have a large TikTok following, 
which, hey, takes work, but it's also something that's easily scalable. And a lot of social media followings are fake. There are a lot of them are really yeah, true. Cool. I had a, you know, these spam bots that you get in your DMs and the spam bot sends me a profile of some guy who never heard of, he's got a million Instagram followers. And I look right away and all of the comments are like fire emojis from other blue check marks. And these are engagement pods. It's in, incredibly fake. So for anybody listening, the only reason I point this out is to say, do not look at these people and think they're doing something and you feel like you're inadequate, you're doing something wrong. That stuff's all fake. Okay. There are people like Jordan Sy who has a real engaged following. We watch him for years and what he's doing. There's a reason why he's where he is. He's also done a ton of stuff to be well-known in our industry for a lot of reasons. So don't get fixated on this, the spammy bullshit game and don't get caught up in this idea. I think TikTok can be a really powerful vehicle. I think you want to keep your eye on it. It's just something I also know that we, we can't be everywhere. We only have a limited amount of time to do everything. And it's just something I've at this point made a conscientious decision I'm not leaning into because everything else is going really well. But at least don't be that person who's putting your TikTok following in your Instagram bio. And again, very small sample size, but the people I've noticed doing this, a very strong vein of egocentrism and just they really rubbed me the wrong way. And maybe that's why I actually have kind of this aversion to it. So there's yes. my thought. I can agree. Most of the, it's either like an ego, like extreme opinion or like very dogmatic or something like that, yeah. like a really alpha male, or it's something that's like, it's just a butt. Like it's just some, some nude, it's like half nudity type of stuff. It's just like every time, like even the reels for me are like TikTok is just real. So reels for me sometimes get a bit much. So I'm like, oh, I can't to go on. I am on the platform. I don't use it because I'm kind of like you too many eggs in like too few, but like too many baskets. I'm just focused on Instagram and I focus on the YouTube and podcasts at the moment and clients. And that's enough for me. But it's like you said, you don't want to be that person that ignores it and be that old guy. That's just like, Oh, new stuff sucks. And so you just get left behind. So I kind of got an eye on it, but hoping that Instagram just absorb it somehow. <laughs> would make things a little simpler. Right. And then there's going to be something yeah. after that. But, you know, you think about anybody who really sure. hard into Snapchat and now look at it like Snapchat isn't a particularly useful vehicle for brand building. So, but that's, that's an entire podcast in of itself. I'm really grateful you took the time to come on today. It's been great to get uh, some face-to-face -face time. And for anybody listening, obviously, if you're a long-time listener, please go follow Steve. Um, everything we talked about, you can then pick lessons from how Steve has built what he's done, why he's successful, why he's a respected name, especially in the evidence-based fitness community. And that may help you in your own journey. And if you're someone who's found me through Steve's media, well, I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you scroll through my list of episodes, you'll see Mike Isertel's been on a couple of times on the new format and a bunch on the old one. And a lot, I've got an old episode with Eric Helms and Andy Morgan was on semi-recently. And so you'll find a lot of that community, Danny Lennon, you'll find a lot of this community and who knows, just check out some of those episodes, see if you like it, maybe you'll stick around. But you know, focus on if you're a Steve listener, enjoy Steve's stuff. I'm not stealing you. So uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Steve. And uh, stay tuned for a great episode next week.